This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Hey, happy Easter, everybody. I am so excited to share some time with you today. If you're a guest here with us, I want to welcome you to New Life. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm going to guide us as we continue to engage with God this morning. And I just want to invite you, get comfortable. Make yourself at home. This place is a place that we've created for you to come and and bring yourself. And here's what I was talking to God about this morning. I said, God, my prayer is I'm going to bring me, all of me, who I am, for better or worse. I'm asking God that you would help my friends who walk in these doors just to bring themselves, who they are, all of who they are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I said, God, I know you're already here. So if you guys bring you and I bring me and God's already here, then God's going to move powerfully in our lives. And so I just want to invite you, make yourself at home, get comfortable, uh, create some space. I know that Easter is a, a busy time for us. We've got, we've got egg hunts and family. And who's that, by the way, who's a ham person? Any ham people? Like, yeah, that's okay. God loves you anyway. How about uh, how about any, any turkey people? We have any turkey people in here? Going to have some turkey tonight? Yeah, I like you, buddy. Y- you and me. How about this? Um, any Mexican fiesta people today? That's me. I plan on having a little fiesta this afternoon. It's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. And I'm just asking that we create some space today. So uh, when you walked in, a few things to help us start on the same place on this journey are inside your program. So go ahead and grab that. Uh, And for those of you who are brand new, who think that the pastor can't actually see beyond this, what we believe is an invisible force field right here, I can see you. So if you're just staring at me, I'm going to, I might have to call you out. So go ahead and grab your, uh, grab your, your program. Grab this card that says start here. This is your all access pass to new life. This is how we can partner with you. This is how you can engage with our pastoral team so that we can pray for you, support you, resource you in any way that would be beneficial to you. And I'm going to ask that right now you just go ahead and put your name and your email address on this. And then if at some point throughout the morning we've earned your trust, we're going to pass some baskets a little bit later. I just ask you to drop this card in the basket so that we can partner with you again in any way that would be beneficial to you. So go ahead and get that ready. You're also going to want to grab our teaching notes. Um, They've got the the stories we're looking at today from the Bible. They've got some fill-in-the-blank thoughts. Um, They've got some some spaces where we can just create some space for questions and thoughts and ideas. Because my hope would be that something about this morning would spark a dialogue in you, maybe with your housemates or with your family or internally as we engage with God today. So go ahead and get that ready. Uh, And if you're here today, I want to give some space for this. If you're here today and you're thinking— Okay, a family member brought me, a friend brought me, I'm glad I'm here, the music was really, really good, the people seem fairly normal. But Easter has this, Easter has this presupposition that Jesus actually died and rose again. And if you're here today and you're thinking, I don't know that I actually believe that, that Jesus actually died and rose again, I want to invite you, the last two Easter's, I've actually given some, some proof of that, historically, that we can trust the fact that Jesus actually lived, actually died, and actually rose again. And so, rather than doing that again this year, on your teaching notes, I just gave you a link to the YouTube video from last year's Easter. So if you're like, I don't know if I can trust that, here's what I would ask. Put a pen in that question for now. Let's assume that he did what history says he did, what the Romans wrote about him doing, what the Jews confessed to him doing, what, G- what Christians, Jesus followers, gave their lives for. Let's assume for a minute that he did that. Just put a pin in that. And then go back and watch the YouTube video. And then my email address is on the back of uh, the programs. If you have questions or thoughts, email me this week. I would love to chat with you. 
Well, today as we jump in, I want to talk about, about one man's interaction with Jesus around Easter that changed his life. One man's interaction and this back and forth they had, this relationship, this engagement, it was the game changer for him. It set him on a different path, on a path that would, would guide him through his entire life, that would guide him into his death and ultimately uh, into eternity with God. And it could be a game changer for you. And we've all got these types of days in our lives, these game-changing days. Some of them are really good game-changing days. Some of them are really difficult or bad game-changing days, but we've all had them. So I want you to think, as I kind of share some thoughts, think about your game-changing days. It could have been that you thought you would be single forever, and then it was the day that you saw her for the first time, or you saw him for the first time, and everything changed. Uh, I thought that I would be single forever. I just, I assumed this would be true. I hit my 20s and thought, well, you know, I guess the rest is done. I guess it's over. I don't know what I thought, but I thought single forever. Uh, And I did what only super dorky Christians do. Uh, I got together with a group of guys who were also single and said, we're going to be, we decided to call ourselves, we're going to be bachelors till the rapture. We're going to be single forever. And that's all it took because a month later, one of them started dating a girl who would become his wife and then another one and another one. And I was like, you sellouts. We were in this. And now you're all fluttery in love and ugh. And then I met Maria. And she was the game changer for me. She was the game changer for me. Maybe for you it was, um, you thought you were going one direction in your career. And you had it all mapped out. You went to school for that. You got into it. You worked your way up. And then you got a nudge. Maybe it was a nudge from God. Maybe it was a stirring. Maybe it was just a sense of discontent. And, and the game changed for you. You started going in a different direction. Maybe it was more than an internal nudge. Maybe it was an external force. The company downsized and you were laid off. And all of a sudden, you thought you were going one direction and now you're going a different direction. We've all had these game-changing moments. Maybe you had all sorts of plans for retirement and then 2008 hit and the stock market crashed and your retirement dreams crashed along with it and you've been working ever since beyond the point where you thought you'd be working. You thought life would be very different now, but life is this way because of external circumstances. It was a game changer for you. Maybe you thought when you said, tell death do us part, that would mean a long, happy life. But one day they walked in and they said, I'm I'm not in love with you anymore. And it was a game changer for you. Or maybe you walked into the doctor and the doctor said, it's cancer. And all of a sudden, death did part you long before you thought it would. And it was a game changer. We all have these moments in our life. Today, I want to talk about one moment that was a game changer in the life of one man. And and this moment could be the game changer for you. Because oftentimes, game changers happen because of external forces placed upon us. But there are certain game-changing moments that can happen because of an internal force that is driving us to something new. And the interaction happens between Jesus and one of his best friends, a man named Peter. But I want to go back to the beginning of the story, back when Peter was a fisherman. He owned a fishing business uh, with his brother. It was a small family business, but it was going fairly well. One night he's out fishing, and the next day he meets Jesus. And he's captivated by Jesus as Jesus walks along the shore. And Jesus says to him, I want you to come I want you to follow me. And, and we, we say that this is, this is called discipleship. He becomes one of Jesus' disciples, one of his followers. And a disciple was more than just someone who came once a week and checked things out. 
Jesus, uh, Peter literally followed Jesus around for three plus years. He ate with him. He talked with him. He listened to his teachings. They, they watched miracles happen together. He became like Jesus. And in the process, he became Jesus' best friend. His best friend. And he was sure, as he walked with Jesus, that Jesus was this long-awaited game-changer. Savior of the world, God in the flesh, who had come to restore everything. See, see, Peter was a Jewish man, and they were under Roman oppression, and Peter was pretty sure that at some point, somehow, some way, Jesus was going to overthrow the Romans and instate this new kingdom where Jesus would be the king, and Peter would sit next to him, and they would, they would rule the world with justice and mercy and love. And then on the night that Jesus was arrested, Peter's world came crashing down on him. And he watched the arrest, and he waited for Jesus to do something. And Jesus didn't. And then Jesus died, and along with Jesus' death, the hopes and dreams of Peter died too. And then God did something that changed the game. I want to pick up the story right when Jesus is arrested. And it's in your notes, and it's on the screen, and you can follow along in Luke chapter 22. It says this, They seized Jesus, and they led him away. They took him into the house of the high priest, and Peter followed at a distance. And there were some who had kindled fires in this courtyard. And they sat down together, and Peter sat down with them. Verse 56 says, A servant girl saw Peter seated there by the firelight, And she looked closely at him, and she said to him, this man, he was with them. Now, Peter has a freak-out moment because Jesus is on trial for his life, and Peter's just been called out by this servant girl, this teenage girl, which which just reminds me, teenage girls are probably the most terrifying thing in the world. (laughs) He's scared. She calls him out, And Peter denied it, verse 57 says. He says, woman, I do not know him. Literally, in the original language, what that means is, I have no association. If you're Pentecostal, I was just speaking in tongues. If you're brand new to church, that was a stupid Christian joke. I apologize. Write it off. In the original language, what he says to them is, I have nothing to do with him. Don't know him, haven't seen him, don't associate with him, nothing to do with him. A little while later, verse 58 says, someone else saw him and said, you're one of them. He said, man, I'm not. About an hour later, someone said, certainly this fellow Peter is one of them. They're sitting around a fire. They keep calling him out. Because he's a Galilean. He's from the region where Jesus lived. And they could tell by his accent and his voice and the way he looked. He's clearly one of them. He's a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And Jesus turned to him. In your minds, I imagine this. Jesus is on trial for his life. He turned to Peter and he saw him. And he looked straight into his eyes. And Peter remembered what the Lord had spoken. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And Peter went outside and he wept 
bitterly. He didn't just Hallmark movie cry. It wasn't like one of those old Folgers commercials. He wept. He wept like your three-year-old when he, he's running down the street and he falls and he scrapes everything, the face, the knees, the hands. And you know that picture, it goes white and then the blood starts to seep. And what's your three-year-old do? It gets really quiet. It's the calm before the storm. <gasps> Boom! That's what Jesus, that's what Peter did. He wept bitterly at the realization of what he had just done. Could you imagine being in that scene? Jesus, in his moment of greatest need, in the moment when you need a friend, someone to wrap their arm around you, to comfort you, to hug you, at the very least to stand with you in your suffering, at that very moment, he looks at Jesus, or he looks at Peter, who is in the process of denying ever knowing him. Could you imagine that moment? Now think about it from Peter's side. Peter has left everything to follow Jesus. He left his career as a fisherman. We know he had a family. For seasons in this, he's left his wife and maybe children. He's left the comforts of home to travel around. He's left his friends. And he had a certain belief that Jesus would overthrow that Jesus would take over, that Jesus would conquer. Now, Jesus did conquer, just not what Peter thought he would in the moment. He placed all of his hope in Jesus, all of it. And when Jesus was condemned and then crucified, Peter's hopes, Peter's dreams, Peter's future died along with Jesus. In Peter's mind, he had bet on a horse, and the horse came up lame down the final straight. And he's heartbroken, and he's scared, so he denies ever knowing Jesus. And their eyes hit, and his world comes crumbling down. Everything he ever knew seems gone. Have you ever had a moment like that? Where everything came crashing in. And it could have been by your own doing. You started punching out the foundation of the wall and the wall came crashing in on you. Have you ever had one of those moments where it was you who caused the wall to crash? It could have been because of somebody else. Their choices made the wall come crashing in on you. Peter's wall, his world, his everything has just crashed down around him. His best friend, his leader, the one he's followed, the one he gave up everything for is no more. But we know the rest of the story, don't we? Three days later, Jesus rose again, and he conquered the power of death. But the thing was, nobody expected it. His followers didn't expect it. The Jews didn't expect it. He had talked about it. He had said he was going to do it. But when he rose again on that Easter morning, nobody was standing outside. The marching band wasn't there. Nobody was counting down. Ten, nine, eight, seven. No, it was empty except for two women 
We talked about them last year. Two women who went to re-bury the body. I think their thinking was something like this. Well, the men wrapped him in his burial clothes the first time. Well, we all know the men don't do a good job, so we're going to go fix it. (laughs) So they go back over to fix it. And they rewrap his body, and they find Jesus alive. And they couldn't believe it. And Jesus said to them, go and tell the disciples that I've risen from the dead, that I've come back, that I'm alive. And these women go back and they tell Jesus' followers, he did it. He conquered death. He's changing everything. And Peter hears that and he thinks to himself, not me. It might be changing everything for them, but I've screwed up too badly. Jesus says, go and tell my disciples, tell my followers. Peter hears the same words as everybody else, but he assumes it could not be for me. See, while everyone else is rejoicing, Peter's sitting in this moment. I denied Jesus, and Jesus just rose from the dead. I am in so much trouble. (laughs) You ever had one of those moments where you did something so bad, and you knew, oh my gosh, I'm in so much trouble. I remember being 17, and of course, it was over a girl. Uh, A guy keyed my car, just a big line down my Volkswagen bug. I was so angry, and I saw it when I got, what need to laugh about that? Volkswagen Bug is a sweet machine. Yeah. I got home and I saw this big scratch and I was so angry. I knew who did it because we both liked the same girl. I, ha- I just knew it. And I remember running out to my car with my twin brother to get in, to find this guy. And the last thing my mom screamed at me was, do not get in a fight at school. Smart. She didn't say, don't get in a fight. Just don't do it at school. So I, I drove right to school and I found the guy. And he was smaller than me, so I pushed him, thinking that'll teach him. And he stood up. You know what he did? He punched me right in the nose. <laughs> well, at that point, you kind of have to fight back. And so we got, into a, we got into a fight. He's not here, so I'll just tell you, I won. <laughs> but I got suspended, which is bad enough to get suspended from school for fighting when your mom tells you not to. Let's add to it that my dad is also a principal in a neighboring school district. Not a big fan of students fighting. So I go home, I tell my mom I'm suspended. She says, go to your room, your dad will be home soon, which could have been the worst thing that I could ever hear. My dad gets home and he's scarily calm. And he says, get in the truck. I get in the truck. And he begins to drive me into the foothills. And at this point, I'm pretty sure he's going to kill me. My thinking is, well, they have two of us. There's clearly one to spare. It's one of those moments, but it's not his dad. It's God. My dad got up there, and my dad said, Kevin, I love you. You have made a big mistake. We're going to have consequences at home, but we need to talk about this first. And, and he didn't kill me. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and I had consequences. But that's a different sermon for a different day, because you know what? A loving parent still disciplines a child. That's a different sermon. Come back another time. Can you imagine how Peter felt? I'm in so much trouble. Here's something to think about, and it's in your notes. After Peter denied Jesus, he assumed 
that his screw-up was more powerful than God's restoring love. See, in life, we've all got an imaginary circle. And we assume that we can screw up inside that circle. Some of our circles are bigger, some of our circles are smaller. And we assume there are appropriate levels of mess up. And anything inside the circle can be forgiven, we can work through it, we can fix it. But we've all got certain things that we believe are outside of the circle of God's forgiveness. And we mark our circles however we want to mark them. But somewhere deep down, we know, oh my goodness, this one is outside of the circle. And when we think we've done something outside of the circle, we run from the very God who we should be running to because we're terrified that God's forgiveness is not more powerful than our screw-up. And that's exactly what Peter did. We're going to pick up the story in John chapter 21. After Jesus appeared again to his disciples, he appeared to them by the Sea of Galilee a second time. And the author says, this is what happened. Simon Peter and Thomas was there. Nathaniel was there. The sons of Zebedee were there. By the way, the author gives us names because he wants us to fact check him. He says, do you want to know that this is true and real and historical? Listen, I'll give you the names. I'll tell you who was there. I'll give you all the information you need. He says, you want to talk to these people? Talk to them. And these guys were all there. Two other disciples were there as well, but apparently they weren't worth naming And in verse 3, Peter says to his friends, because Peter's the leader of this band, he says, I'm going out to fish. And the other one said, we're going to go with you. So they all went out, they got in their boat, and they fished all night long, but they caught nothing. Remember, before Peter followed Jesus, he was a fisherman. He's just been with Jesus for three years, seen miracles, heard teaching, became friends, became a follower. But at that critical moment— when he felt like God needed him most, he went outside of his own circle. And because Peter believed that he was beyond God's restoring love, he went back into his old life. Because he believed that he had gone outside of the circle, that his God was big enough to forgive this much but clearly not big enough to forgive over here. He goes back to his old life as a fisherman, and he forfeits God's forgiveness, God's redeeming. He forfeits God's calling, the opportunities God had given to him. And isn't isn't that our tendency as well sometimes? If we think we've gone outside of the circle, don't we assume, well, I've screwed up this much, I might as well go the rest of the way. You get into a fight with your spouse and you think, well, I've gotten this mad. I might as well really let her have it. I've already lied to this point. I'm already outside of the circle. I might as well go all the way with this lie. I've already looked. I might as well touch. I might as well taste. Every time we assume that we're beyond God's restoring love, our natural tendency is to try to go back to our old way of life. But the more we walk with God, the more we recognize. And when I say walk with God, I don't just mean say a prayer and experience God's forgiveness. I mean learn how to engage with God every day in life through the ups and downs that come in every one of our daily existences. The more we learn how to walk with God, the more we realize our old way of life is not fulfilling what it used to fulfill. It's promising things that it just cannot keep. It's writing checks 
that it cannot cash. And Peter went back to fishing, and I love what the author says, but he caught nothing. Because that old life was not holding for him what it used to. And this guy's walking along the beach. And we find out that it's Jesus walking along the beach. Peter and his friends have fished all night, and they've caught nothing. And Jesus shouts out from the shore. They don't know it's Jesus. He says, hey guys, did you catch anything? And the only thing worse than not catching anything all night is someone asking you what you caught. (laughs) So they say, no, we didn't catch anything last night. Rough night of fishing, full moon, you know, whatever. And he says, hey, throw your nets on the other side of the boat and see what happens. And here's the thing you need to know about fishing. If you don't catch anything all night, I don't care who you are, how deep your faith is, you become superstitious, right? It's like, sure, I'll turn my head around backwards. Sure, I'll throw my nets on the other side of the boat. Can't hurt. So they throw their nets on the other side of the boat, and they pull up so many fish that they can't even get the nets into the boat. And one of the other disciples whispers to Peter, it's Jesus on the shore, because he had already done this with them in the very beginning of their journey together. And Peter is so overcome, he grabs his outer coat, and I love it. He just dives in the water. He says, you guys bring the catch in. Dives in the water, swims to the shore, and the rest of the disciples bring in the fish. And when they get to the, when they get to the shore, Jesus is sitting around a campfire with Peter. And they're just talking. And they're eating some fish together. They're having one of those moments that they'd had before. And I wonder if Peter's sitting there thinking, this is really nice, but when's the hammer going to drop? Dad came home a little too quiet, if you know what I'm saying. But they just sit, and they eat. And verse 15 says, when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? And he references the fish. He references his old life. He references his old career. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my lambs. And I want to give you a little insight. Jesus is going to use three different sheep references to talk about doing the thing that he had called Peter to do. He had called Peter to be one of the leaders of this Jesus movement to care for his people. And he referred to the people he loves as his lamb, as his flock. It's a, it's a gregarian term, uh, talking about kind of things they would understand. And he says, feed my lambs. And then Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's thinking, this is it. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. And a third time he said to him, Simon, son of John. Jesus looked in his eyes and said, do you love me? Peter's hurt. Because he thinks Jesus is calling him out. He thinks Jesus is pointing out all the bad stuff that he's done in his life. Trying to make him do his penance before he can get back in God's good graces. He says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my fish. And Peter misunderstands what's happening. He thinks in that moment that Jesus is calling him out. But Jesus is actually doing something brilliant. Remember, three times Peter had marched his way out of the circle. 
by denying Jesus the first time, the second time, the third time. And so three times, Jesus marches him right back in. Because he wanted Peter to know something that he wants us to know, which is that Easter reminds us that God loves forgiving that God loves restoring, and that God loves transforming lives. It's not something God has to do. God loves to grab his children, to sit down with us by the campfire, and he loves to forgive. He loves to restore us back to the relationship we were designed to live in, and he loves to transform our lives. Jesus showed us that when he gave his life on the cross last week we talked about how do we understand the depths of God's love? He showed us the depths of his love on the cross. When he gave his life for us, he loves to forgive. It is in God's nature to bring his children back. But he wants more for us than than just a simple prayer. He wants for us a relationship with him. So notice how he finishes this conversation with Peter. Verse 18 says, Very truly I tell you, Jesus says to him, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted to go. But when you are older, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would bring glory to God. And then he said to him the very thing he said on that first day they met, follow me. Follow me. He's saying, Pete, you were in charge of your own life. You walked where you wanted to go. You did what you wanted to do. You had a pretty good fishing business. You've tried it on your own, and it was not all it's cracked up to be. And so I want to bring you back in to relationship. I want to forgive you, and I want to lead you on a journey of learning how to trust me, learning how to walk with me, and learning how to partner with me to the extent that you're willing to lay down your life for me which is exactly what Peter did. He went on a journey of learning how to trust God and walk with him to the extent that he was willing to lay down his life. Peter was later crucified. That's how he was killed, nailed to a cross, much in the same way that Jesus was. But tradition tells us that Peter asked those who were crucifying him, would you flip my cross around upside down so that I could be crucified upside down because I I don't feel like I deserve to be crucified in the same manner as my Lord. And then he ends with, with a simple invitation but it's a game-changing invitation. He says, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Walk with me. Take this journey together. I love walking with you. Learn how to trust me. Learn how to talk to me. Learn how to listen to me. Let's walk together. Beginning next week, we're going to start a journey of learning how to walk with God. We're starting a new series. It's called The Contrarian's Guide to Knowing God. And we're calling it The Contrarian's Guide because most like Bible studies, most um, discipleship paths that tell you how to walk with God are formulaic. They say, do this, do this, do this. Take this class, then this class, then this class. But we're recognizing at New Life that walking with God is more of a journey. That that call he gave to the disciples, come and follow me, is the call he gives to each of us. So we're going to start a whole journey that talks about what does it look like to walk with God if life is more of a winding path than a group of building blocks that we build upon. It's going to be so, so fun. And I want to invite you, come back and learn and relearn how to walk with God. 
the series was sparked by a book called Spirituality for the Rest of Us. And I've read through this book a number of times. I've pulled some of the key themes. I'm going to be teaching out of parts of it. But I'm telling you, if you want a companion's guide to go with this teaching series that's coming up, and it's going to take us through the beginning of July. It's going to be a long series, probably about 10 weeks or so. If you want a companion's guide to go with it, I would say on the bottom of your card, it says Contrarian's Guide Companion Book. If you mark that down on your card, I'll email you a link so you can buy the book. If, I was, uh, if it was Christmas, maybe I'd buy the book for you, but it's Easter. So I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to give you something a little different. I'm going to give you the link, and then I'm going to empower you to buy your own book. Be warm and well-fed. But I wonder this Easter, I wonder this Easter if there are some of us here, and we've never experienced walking with God. If there is some sort of circle that is within God's family, we've always sat outside of the circle. And someone brought you to to church today, to Easter today, and you liked it. The music's been good. The teaching's been engaging. The people seem great. But you've never actually walked back into the circle with God. Did you know you were created to live with God in relationship in his family? And on Easter, God made a way for you to do that. When Jesus gave his life on the cross, he took upon himself that sin, that, that those choices, those things that we think and say and do, that are hurting us and hurting other people that separate us from a perfect God. On Easter, on the cross, Jesus took that sin upon himself. He paid the penalty for it that we deserved to pay, which was eternal separation from God. So that we could come back into God's family. So that we could be restored to the relationship we were always meant to live in. And if you've never experienced the forgiveness of God— the love of God, the transforming power of God. I'm going to pray in just a second, and I want to give you an opportunity to simply talk with God and to put to words this internal transformation that God wants to do with you. And there are some of us who are here today, and at one point you really were engaged with God, engaged in community. You were walking on this journey with Him, but somewhere along the way, either life happened and you kind of walked your own direction, or something happened and you thought, I'm no longer in, but you disengaged from God. And you're here on Easter because it's Easter, and this is what you do on Easter. You come to church. But today could be a day where Jesus wants more for you than simply come to church. Today could be the day where Jesus is inviting you to re-engage with him. If that's you, I want to pray, and when I pray, I'm going to give you a chance just to talk to God about that. To say, God, I want to re-engage. I want to sit at that campfire like Peter did and have you re-invite me back into this journey. And maybe there's a third group of us here. And there's an area of your life where you just kind of hold it over here. And you wouldn't say this out loud, especially not in church. But you would say, God, you've got this much of me. But there's this piece over here where I'm terrified to engage with you because I don't know what you're going to say. Or maybe I think I do know what you're going to say and I don't think I'm going to like it. Or I don't know if it's for my best. Maybe for you, what, what your journey this week is simply engaging with God around that thing. Just start talking to God. God, what do you think about this? Maybe it's being honest with God. God, I don't like what you're saying right now. Can we talk about that? Because there's a disconnect between what you say and what I say. And I think somewhere in that disconnect, there's a why question I want to ask. God, why are you saying this? Why do you think this? Maybe your engagement with God is just to simply start asking why this week and allow God to speak because God, he's not waiting to drop the hammer on you. He's waiting you to welcome you back into his arms. He's waiting on you. He's standing at the seashore saying, 
jump in, the water's fine. Swim on over. Let's re-engage. Maybe that's your invitation today. I don't know where you are. In a room this size, where there could be 50 other things. The cool thing about God is, we've all heard the same worship, we've all heard the same message, but the Spirit of God translates it just the way He wants it to be for each one of us in this room. So whatever God is guiding you to right now, I would invite you just continue the journey of engagement with Him. I'm going to pray, and then we'll wrap our time up together. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be together in community. Thank you for this opportunity to come and celebrate you. Thank you, Lord, that the songs that we sing in worship give voice and give words to these deep stirrings inside our our soul that are sometimes too deep for us to put words to. And so we sing these songs out together, which, which put voice to something that is deep inside of us. Thank you, God, that you never gave up on Peter, even when Peter gave up on himself. Thank you, God, that you never give up on us. Even when there are times when we're tempted to give up on ourselves. Thank you for the invitation to re-engage this Easter. Would you show each of us in this room what it looks like to engage with you, to trust you a little more fully today, to take one step closer to you today as we continue this journey of walking with you. As we continue to pray, if you're here and you fell into either of those first two uh, groups, you've never walked with God or at some point you disengaged with God. Right now you're sensing God inviting you, come back into the relationship. Come back to me. Re-engage with me. If you're sensing God Put that on your mind, in your thoughts, in your heart. I want to give you a chance to do that right now. And I simply want to help put words to something that's going on internally for you. And you can repeat these either in your mind or you can whisper these where you are. Just to put voice to this thing that God is doing as he's inviting you back in. You could respond to God like this. Simply say something like, Jesus, I believe that you love me. I'm learning that you love to forgive, that you love to restore me back into relationship with you, that you deeply desire to restore me into relationships with others, and that you're offering to continue to change and transform my life. And I believe that you gave your life for me so that I can be restored to you. And I say yes today. Yes, I want to walk in relationship with you. Yes, I want this life that you're offering. And yes, I want you, God. So would you come into my life and would you forgive me of my sin? And would you fill me with your spirit as you show me what it looks like to walk with you? I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.com. Thanks for listening.